0: How many of you are familiar with the phrase, no pain, no gain? That's what your mean grandmother and your mean coach and teacher used to say. I always got tickled the coaches would be drinking the Gatorade when we'd be killing ourselves. Boy, we hate to make you do that. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. No pain, no gain. To be prosperous, it can be painful. For And you know what the truth is? That's the truth, isn't it? I mean, you, you look back at academics, I mean, you get through high school, you get through college or graduate school. For most of us, that wasn't always easy, was it? I mean, you had to push yourself. You had to study. There was, there was some pain. Sports, whether it's basketball, baseball, softball, if you played football, any kind of sport, before the season and before the glory, there was the practices that were hard and disciplined. And, but what you found out, if you, you hung in there and you did the right things the right way, that you did see some prosperity and some success after the pain and the tough part. This evening we we are in Titus chapter 3, excuse me, Titus chapter 2. We're going to finish out Hebrews, the end of this month, but I wanted to jump out this evening. An interesting passage, Titus 2, 9, and 10. I'm going to read this, and then we will dive into the sermon. I think reading gives us a little... Uh, quick understanding of some maybe painful issues. Slaves must always obey their masters and, and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way." Let me begin with this first major point that God challenges them and us this evening. Behave God's way in every situation. If you are a Christ follower tonight, the challenge for you and me, and boy, it is tough. Would you agree? To behave the way God would have you behave in every situation. Situation. Now, the original hearers of this letter, the first-century Christians, believe you me, it was tough for them to hear this. We uh, we we can't imagine what it was like unless you li- have lived in a, a country where Christianity is suppressed or is a tiny minority. the The early church was a tiny part of the population. They had no power, no influence, no pull. They were being persecuted. So to behave the way God wanted them to behave was going to be tough. And you noticed who he addresses. And again, this is for all of us, but who gets specifically addressed? Slaves must obey their masters. The word in your Bible there, slave, in verse 9, is a Greek biblical word which literally means someone who is enslaved to one another. There's no catchy, neat thing. This is a part-time worker or anything like this. This is being in a permanent relationship of servitude to another person. Did you get that? You're in a permanent relationship of servitude to one another. I'm going to take just a brief moment. We don't have time to go into a full theology or understanding of slavery, but... In Jesus' day, in Paul's day, slavery was extremely common. There's rough estimates that there may have been as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Slavery then was not, in one sense, it was not like you and I understand it from uh, the modern history in England or or America. Slavery then was not based at all on race. It was based on if you got captured. If your your country got conquered by the Romans, you would become a slave. A lot of times we think of a slave as being a simple household worker or field worker, and you might have been that in the ancient Roman world. You might have been a business owner. You could have captured Greg Phillips, and you would have a state farm agent as your slave. Wouldn't that be cool? Greg, improve my insurance immediately. Uh, Greg wouldn't have liked that. You... You could have had a medical doctor who was your slave. Not a bad thing, necessarily. And I'm joking. I mean, slavery is horrible. Uh, And and even though that it was not like we think of it, and it could be a a very advanced educated person who was a slave, it was still a slave. You were a piece of human property. You were owned by somebody. Now, people have often asked, why didn't the New Testament... They just start swinging the club to get rid of slavery. Well, the New Testament does address it and says, if you can get your freedom, get your freedom. But here's how Christianity subverted slavery. It did an inside-out job. Christianity was tiny, a tiny fraction of the Roman Empire. It was not going to politically overthrow anything. You know how Christianity and Christianity has been the key to overthrowing slavery throughout history? It changes hearts. When you change enough hearts, you change policy, amen? Amen. You may not know this, Franklin Graham is on a tour in California trying to bring revival because he says what they need more than anything else, maybe it's better politics in California. They need Jesus, and if enough people get their hearts right, policies change. We can never forget that. And that was how Christianity subverted slavery, which was a wonderful thing. But I want to tell you something. This is very important tonight. Some of the things I'm fixing to say are pretty hard. And you may say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to hear that. None of us, to my knowledge, have ever been a slave. No matter what your situation is, and I'm not downplaying it at all. I'm not trying to or minimizing it. I doubt your boss, your husband, your kids, your parents treat you like animals. They own you like you're a piece of property. So keep that in mind as we dive in. He's talking to slaves. He's talking to everybody in the church. and He's talking to you and me. Here's the first thing he says under this, behave in God's way in every situation. Obey and follow the leaders in your life. You don't want to hear that. How do I know that? I've been a pastor 30-something years. (laughs) I've been in Baptist churches my whole life. I was raised by parents. I am a parent. I'm a boss. I've been an employee. Technically, I am an employee. Do you know the IRS as a Baptist preacher is self-employed? And that's funny. We can be fired tomorrow by you, but we're self-employed. Isn't that crazy for tax purposes? Yes, it's crazy for tax purposes. Here's what God says. Look in verse 9 with me. Slaves, you must, no option, always obey their masters. Remember, it's a slave, it's a piece of human property. You go, well, this is tough. What you're fixing, not tougher than being a slave here in this. I want you to obey. The word obey means to be under someone. It's a relationship where someone is in charge and someone is not in charge. It's a relationship of submission. Now, Again, here you are in the church, in the early church. You might have a slave and a slave owner sitting on the same pew. You have a wealthy person here and a slave behind him. He's addressing everybody. He's addressing slaves in particular. And again, I think to to go to the slave makes this a lot easier or it's unexcusable for you and me. It's neat that that word masters there, obey your masters, that master is an ugly word. It's a despot. It's one who yields unlimited authority over someone or something. Wow. He says, slaves, I want you to obey your masters. Yes, it needs to be an outward thing, but Christianity is always an inward that goes outward. I want you to follow the leaders in your life. How does that apply to you? Have you read your Bible? Many of you have. You know, the Bible is an orderly book. Did you know that? Look up Ephesians 5 and 6 when you get home. I'm going to give you some references. You know what it says? Listen, parents, write this down because your kids are in the youth group or with kids right now. It says that the kids should obey their parents. Isn't that great, parents? Say amen. That's the only verses my parents emphasize to us as children. John three sixteen and obey your parents or you are going to be, we could still get paddled back then. You're going to get spanked, Right? The home is a structured place. Did you know that? You don't teach your kids to obey you. They're going to be a problem for everybody else the rest of their life probably. But here's where it gets tough. Do you know it says that the husband is the leader of the household? Uh Uh-oh. That's popular today. Did you know that? That the husband should be the leader and that the wife should follow him, not a doormat? Bible's real clear the man should be a gentle loving tender leader but the wife should follow her husband did you know if you work somewhere and you have a boss you ought to follow your boss I'm going to give you some quantitative issues on this in just a second but quit looking for loopholes do you know the Bible says we should be under our government leaders did you know it says that Romans 13 Romans 13 did you know this are you listening you're not going to like this. The Bible says that you ought to follow your ministers. Did you know that? How many of you knew that was in the Bible? That's our memory verse for next month. Hebrews 13, 17. Go ahead and learn it. Hebrews 13, 17. Here's when you don't follow your leaders if they lead you against God. Now, that's not subjective. Well, I don't agree with you. That uh, That's biblical. Listen, if your husband is leading you against the Word of God, you follow God. That's who you follow. If our government tells us to go against God, the Word of God, we follow God. Amen? Your boss tells you to do something that's illegal or immoral. You don't follow that. You don't follow your pastors. They're leading you in an unbiblical way. But most of the time, our problem is not we got leaders leading us in the wrong way. It's we got hearts that aren't willing to do the right thing. God says, I want you to behave the right way in every situation. Follow your leaders. How many of you are wishing you hadn't come tonight? Cindy said, I hadn't seen her all day. I saw her over here right before the service. I said, hey, sweetie, how you doing? I'm tired and ready to go home. I said, oh, I'm fixing to preach for four hours, and you're ready to go home. Just kidding. Here's the second thing. Obey your leaders, but seek to please other people. Seek to be pleasing, not a people pleaser, not a fake, not someone trying to kiss up or, you know, to... to win some kind of flattering favor from other people. But look in verse 9. Slaves must always obey their masters. If it applies to slaves, it applies to us. And do your best to please them. that word please means to be agreeable or well-pleasing. Do you have a desire to benefit and help those around you? Do you have a desire to benefit and help those who are over you? Do you have a desire to benefit and help those under you? See, this is the tough stuff. We're going to look at the prosperity in a moment. But the prosperity, you don't get to the prosperity if you don't get this right first. Follow your leaders. Seek to please people. Benefit and bless people. Number three in this, don't be argumentative. None of you need to hear this, but write this down for that family member or friend who needs to hear it. Right, brothers and sisters? Nancy just elbowed her husband. I won't say Eddie's name, but that was, uh, I saw that. I'm watching, y'all. You know that, don't you? Look in verse 9. They must not talk back. Get your kid to memorize that. Talk back means to answer again or to speak against it. It means to insistently object. It's a hard thing. It's setting up your own will against another. It's being a contrarian. Do you know anybody that if you say red, they're going to just say blue? Just to say it? Carpet's green? Well, not really. It's kind of a mauvey green, whatever that means. (laughs) This is black. Well, not really. It's dark, dark brown, you know. You know that person? They don't go to church here, but you know them, don't you? (laughs) Here's what God says. The Greek word for that is, are you take notes, J-E-R-K. Did you write that down? <laughs> this isn't saying you shouldn't have an opinion, and this isn't saying you shouldn't express that opinion in the right way. But if the mode of my life and your life is argumentative, contrary, difficult, exp- you know what? Man, you're an anchor instead of being a sail. At times you need a, an anchor. But a lot of times in life, we need to sell. And God says, listen, I want you to follow your leaders. I want you to try to be a pleasing person. And don't go through life being argumentative. That's not going to cause prosperity to happen. And here's the fourth thing. Be a person of great integrity. As As I've, through the years, if i studied this, and even this week about slavery, some scholars, very few, say that slaves in the Roman world were paid paid very little, and then actually were able eventually to buy their freedom if they wanted. Most scholars don't say that. I mean, because it's a position of permanent servitude, and if they were paid, it was peanuts. And you and I know that if we were a slave, or if you, you don't have to be a slave, sometimes it's where you work, and you feel like you're not being treated well, paid well, it's easy to say, you know, if I take this, they owe it to me, Right? That Coke or that money or that whatever it is around the office, the papers, the pens. I mean, I do all this and they don't pay me well. They don't treat me well. And in the midst of all that, God says, I want you to be honest. Look in verse 10. They must not talk back or steal. The word steal there means to keep something back or to embezzle something. In the year 2015, United States businesses lost $60 billion to theft. Do you think God knew what he was talking about in Exodus 20 when he said, thou shalt not steal $60 billion? You know why prices are jacked up in a lot of places? It's not because you've got the evil entrepreneur at the store. It's because you've got so many crooks rip, ripping them off. We're paying for the stuff somebody steals. Did you know that? And did you know that the worst theft comes from inside the business? Did you know that? That's incredible. And God says, I don't want you to steal. I want you to have integrity. Look what he says. Don't steal. Show yourself to be entirely trustworthy and good. That word trustworthy means fidelity or faithful. I want you in every situation of your life to have integrity. Your yes be yes, your no be no. Be true on the outside, what's going on the inside. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Have integrity. See, God says these things. He's talking to slaves, He's talking to a weak band of Christians. And He's talking to you and me and Rustin 2,000 years later. It's tough. Follow your leaders. Benefit people. Don't be a contrarian. And be a person of integrity. Now, see, here's the wonderful thing. After those hard things, when we live this way, this leads to true prosperity. How many of you want to prosper? Man, you should. How many of you know who the evangelist Jesse Duplantis is? Now, it, listen, I, I'm not kicking you. If he's like your cousin, or I, I'm not, I'm, all I'm going to do is make an observation. He recently asked his supporters to give money so he could get a fourth jet. Cindy and I only have two jets. Did you know that? And the fourth jet has a range of 6,000 miles. It can go 700 miles an hour. And it only costs $54 million. I need a raise. (laughs) That's the wrong, in my opinion, that's the wrong kind of prosperity. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. The kind of prosperity God teaches is much better. (laughs) It's an inside blessing and an outside difference maker. Did you hear me? So you're not going to take your jet to heaven, but you're going to take who you are to heaven. You're going to stand before God about who you and I are. Let me tell you three things God says happen. It happens when we behave his way in every situation. Number one, it makes you attractive. You know, I'm looking out here. Some of you are pretty. Most of you men really aren't, but you women, you know, you're nice. You're attractive. My wife's the prettiest, though. My daughter's number two. Amen? I mean, isn't that right, guys? Do you think your wife's the prettiest? Okay. Help a brother out. Look in verse 9 and 10. Slaves must obey their masters and do their best to please them. Don't talk back. Don't steal. Show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. They will make the teaching. Then they will make the teaching about... God our Savior, attractive in every way. The attractiveness starts with you. Do you know the Bible? The Bible says you should be an attractive person. It's not talking about physical. It's talking about inside out. The Bible says that in Matthew 5, Jesus said we are salt and light. Salt brings flavoring and and it preserves and light brings warmth and it's guidance and, and, and light brings hope and it brings comfort. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it describes the fruit of the Spirit. Nine things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The evidence that Jesus lives in you and controls your life. Christian, you ought to be attractive. And when we do the hard things, we behave God's way. It's only because God's in us, coming out of us, and it makes us attractive. You are a rare person when you do those things. But here's the second thing. and These things just keep getting better. You reveal how attractive your Jesus is. Notice how I worded that. Maybe, I don't know if that's good or not grammatically. It reveals your Jesus as attractive. You see, Jesus is attractive. Did you know that? A lot of Christians, we don't make him look that way. And, and believe me, a lot of churches... Don't make Jesus shine. But when we behave the way we should, we bring the beauty of Christ out. At the end of verse 10, then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. We're going to look at the teaching in a moment. But the first thing we do is we make Jesus attractive. That word attractive is a great biblical word. It means to adorn or decorate. We literally get our word cosmetic. From, from that word, cosmetics. How many of you like cosmetics? Good. I think I think it's good. You know the, the old story about the old farmer, don't you? His wife had never worn makeup. Y'all know this story? It's in the Bible somewhere. And, <laughs> and, and, and after 50 years of marriage, she said, do you mind if I start putting makeup on? His response was terrible. He said, if the old barn needs paint and paint it. That's terrible, isn't it? I'd have said, honey, you look pretty without it. But the word ma- makeup, makeup can help you look better. It can help a man look better. I mean, it's, it's a positive thing. But, but the word cosmetic also means decorations. It's like taking a, a Christmas tree that's pretty to begin with and making it prettier and see, here it's not a tree or a person. It's Jesus Christ who's already attractive. I uh, see, we don't have to, we don't have to make Jesus attractive. We just have to expose him. See, people walk in on Sunday morning to Wednesday night because hopefully we're loving and we're friendly and kind. We make Jesus shine. That's our goal to lift him up so others will be drawn to him, correct? And, and our behavior as an individual or as a church can hide Jesus' beauty or it can blow it up for the world. Our idea is to blow it up for the world. Someone said there's not four Gospels, but there's five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you. Remember the old song in the 80s, You're the only Jesus some will ever see? It really was a great song. And it's absolutely true. You see, when we behave God's way in every situation, it makes us attractive and it shines the beautiful light on our beautiful Jesus. And lastly, what he tells us here is people will listen to our verbal witness. You've got to earn the right a lot of times to be heard, especially in this day and age. That's going to get more and more true. Look in verse 10. Then they will make the teaching, the instructions about God our Savior, attractive in every way. How many of you have heard someone say, well, I don't really witness or share my faith. I just live it. Doesn't that sound real pious? If that's you, I'm going to be real sweet, but that's dumb. That's not biblical. It's not sweet to call somebody dumb either, is it? The Bible doesn't say, that's, that's the chicken's way out. Well, I, I don't tell anybody. I just live it. That's not how Jesus did it. Romans ten fourteen. listen to what God says. How can they call on someone to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe unless if they've never heard? And how can they hear about him unless someone what? Read that last part with me. Tells them. You see, Christianity is show and tell. You remember show and tell from school? You bring something, you bring your turtle, and you'd show it, and then you'd say something real ingenious like, this is my turtle. It has a shell and four legs and it eats grass. Show and tell. You exhibit it and then you explain. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is show and tell. And what what Jesus says here, when we behave the right way in all situations, which is tough, we only do it through Christ living in us, we we make the teaching about Jesus Christ beautiful. You know who Gandhi is. Gandhi made the statement that he loved Jesus and he loved Christianity and he would have become a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. That's sad, isn't it? Now, obviously, he was held responsible when he stood before God, but so do a lot of churches and Christians probably who were bad influences to him. You see, our goal, our calling is to be the right kind of people behaving like God would have us no matter what's going on so we can be attractive make Jesus shine and open the door where people want to listen to us 1972 Cairo Egypt Cairo Egypt capital of Egypt a garbage man ran into a rich man I don't know how it is now, but back then, a predominantly Muslim country, most Muslims would not be a garbage man. So the people who were garbage men were Christians, Hmm. the outcasts, the lowest in society. Every day, these garbage men lived out by the dump. They would get in their, this is 1972, their horse and buggy. They would ride into the town of 7 million And pick up garbage. One day, this particular garbage man found a watch that was worth about $11,000. I did the figuring on the computer. That's about $65,500 in 2017 money. How many of you would like to find that watch? It was right by a house where he picked up the garbage and he goes to the door and he knocks on the door and the wealthy young Egyptian man comes out. And he says, sir, I found it. it. must be your watch. I found it outside and I want to return it to you. The guy was dumbfounded. I mean, and you think about that. If, if, if you just had $65,000 given to you tonight, would that help you? He said, sir, that's about four years wages for you. Why would you bring that watch? Why didn't you sell it? Why didn't you keep it? He said, I'm a Christian. And my Jesus says that, that I need to be a person of integrity. And I want to give you this watch back. And that man said, come in. I want to hear about your Jesus because of the kind of person you are. And the garbage man, lowest of the low, led this elitist, wealthy Egyptian man to Jesus Christ. Who a few years later became a minister in the Coptic Christian church there in Egypt. Lowest of the low, showing great respect and honor to an uber-wealthy person. Someone whose life was about benefiting other people more than it was about what it could do for him. Someone who acted with tremendous integrity. And by this, that simple act and that one minute of time right there, he made himself beautiful, he made Jesus beautiful, and he made that witness completely possible. And lives were changed forever because someone behaved God's way in tough situations. Wow. What about you and me this evening? I don't know if everyone here or not is a member of our church, but we'd love for you to join tonight. And that's the kind of church we want to be. You can join after church. You can come and join right now when we stand and sing. Christian, look at me just for a minute. Are you doing this? Is this you? I mean, I, I know we all have our excuses. <laughs> I didn't read any excuses in that passage, did you? Footnote at the bottom. Well, unless you live in Ruston. If you live in Ruston, you know not, you're exempt from this. Some of you, you are. Keep it up. Some of us, man, we're struggling and we need to Repent. Because this is an optional stuff. And, and say, God, live through me so I can be who you've called me to be. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe you know you're not. But, hey, maybe tonight God's ringing your bell. The Holy Spirit's ringing your bell. I would tell you tonight if you look at these things and you say, you know what? I'm failing. I'm a zero for zero on these things. Maybe the problem is, is you've never truly been born again. Because, see, when Jesus comes to live in you, he changes you. Maybe you need to come tonight and give your life to Christ. Let's stand. And as we sing a hymn of invitation, I want to challenge you to respond to God as you should.